What's up, Energy fam? Welcome back to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG, the place where energy, economics, and innovation converge. I'm your host, Justin Gauthier, coming to you live from the vibrant city of Houston, Texas. As someone who spent years immersed in the oil field service sector and focusing on energy economics and drilling operations, each week we dive into the heart of the energy sector, exploring its trends, challenges, and the future of energy in our lives. But today, I'm reaching out to you, my valued listeners, with a special opportunity. Wicked Energy is looking for partners who share our passion for energy, innovation, and impact. We're on the hunt for sponsors who want to connect with a dedicated audience of energy enthusiasts, professionals, and those keen on understanding the complex world of energy economics. By sponsoring, you'll not only support our mission to be the voice of energy, but also gain access to a platform where your brand can shine. Whether you are in the energy sector, finance, technology, or any field that resonates with the energy and innovation space, we believe your message deserves to be heard. If you're interested in exploring this opportunity and aligning your brand with a podcast that's all about making an impact, I'd love to start the conversation. Reach out to me at the link below or hit me up on LinkedIn. Together, we can fuel conversations that matter and leave a legacy that resonates for our listeners and beyond. Thank you for tuning in. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Wicked Energy. I'm here for round two with Christine. She drills Guerrero. Christine, welcome back to the show. How you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I actually think that you might have been the first uh, podcaster who asked me on their show. So, <laughs> and then, and then since then, I've done about seven different podcasts. So, so it really just uh, kind of ends the year nicely that you're the last conversation I'm having. You hey. know, rolls over. So nice. No, that's uh, I love to hear that. And it's funny you mentioned that actually because I've had several folks ask me they're like how do you have such a wide array of people on your podcast like do you find them do they find you and I've always just kind of had a knack for finding people who I find either interesting or who like the up-and-coming people who are putting out content um that I think are gonna like ultimately do well and mainly because I'm just interested in what they have to say and uh lo and behold I, I just cold call people for the like I mean I'm in sales so me reaching out to someone out of the blue and saying hey we should connect uh, for a lot of people, they get kind of get shy away from it, but I love it. I mean, so I'll reach out to, I've I've reached out to like CEOs of major companies, and I've reached out to people who have like eighteen followers. And I'm like, I think you might be onto something there. So anyway, uh, I'm glad we could connect again. And obviously, this year's been an interesting year. But um, but before we get going, I mean, how besides you said getting over a cold, how's the holiday season? I mean, is that a big deal in your house, or are you just all work, no no holiday, or what does that look like? I mean, I was supposed to travel home to Tulsa, which is where I'm originally from, and and be with my family. But when I got sick, I I canceled my flights. Yeah, I, don't <laughs> so I, I literally spent like the entire uh, holiday weekend just like taking naps on the couch and watching movies. But like literally didn't finish one entire episode because I always fell asleep in the middle <laughs> of. <it. laughs> you know how it is when you're sick. You know oh. you just. Well, you, you you know blanket and lots of medicine and you know that's it well you picked a good time to be sick I, don't, I mean obviously the markets have been closed over the few days there and they're obviously back in action but uh with with that said what like what's your favorite christmas movie or, or show i mean what i mean there's got to be something um so i will say that before i got sick actually the weekend before i got sick so the culprits of why i got sick might be involved in this discussion so i had my <laughs> two three-year-old nieces and and you know i was running around with them and i took them to the park 
which was completely packed full of kids. And I'm pretty sure that's where I got this cold. But, um, you know, we sat and we watched The Grinch because obviously, I mean, come on, like every kid needs to see The Grinch. That was their postcard <laughs> exposure. Yeah. So, um, nice. And how old are they? They're two and three. Oh, okay. And so they actually had the attention span to sit there and watch it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. that's impressive. I'm thirty, almost thirty-eight, and I barely can sit through a full movie. So, let alone kids that age, that's impressive. I mean, it's all about the dog. So Jim Carrey, <laughs> you know, like he does a great job on the Grinch, but the dog is like the star. Yes, no, that's that's so true. Um, we, uh, my kids, actually this year took a liking to Elf with um, Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they just like got hooked on him, which is hilarious. And then, of course, in our in our house, it's a classic. We every year we watch uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation at least two or three times. Um, and I feel like every time we watch it, we we laugh at a different part. But anyway, it's uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it in our in our house. Christmas is a big deal, and and we love to all hang out and have some good laughs. Um, but anyway, oh, we'll, no, I'll we'll be taking down like like I I like. My house does look like Christmas is a big deal. Like I literally had uh, three full-size Christmas trees, like nine-foot trees, and then I had six smaller trees. Oh wow! And, uh, and like my my house on the street, you know, it's kind of like directing planes. So so I mean, I, I even though I'm never home for Christmas except this year because I was sick and yeah. Last year, because there was the freeze, and I didn't want to least link down because I was afraid the pipes were going to bust. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's uh, I, I do like to decorate, so good. Oh, that's awesome! Well, I love to hear that. It's always good to be festive. Um, so I, I do. I follow you. I followed you on 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 Twitter, which is now X, uh, for quite a while, and I couldn't help but notice and ask, how is the hunt for the guy who's been flashing women joggers? Have you guys found him yet? Oh, no, I mean, seriously, like, that guy is up in the woodland. Really? And and he hangs out, yeah, I know, he, he hangs out by the jogging pass and even by the waterway, like, really early in the morning. And and female joggers, like, if they're out running alone, like, this dude jumps out of the bushes and, like, you know, exposes himself and stuff like that. So, That's so nuts. you know, I mean, you know, everyone knows the woodlands, it's really easy to hide. So, yeah. So, you know, I mean, ladies, if you're out there, you know, just carry some mace or something because you just never know. <laughs> you don't. And I had, to, I, you know, because I see your feed and a lot of it's energy related, but I, I, I can appreciate uh, you do get personal on there and, and more so just like not sort of career or business related stuff. And and I and I had to read that a few times. I was like, are you messing with like, are you just trolling people or what? And I was like, no, I think she's being serious about this is actually no, happening. Like literally yesterday, <laughs> I, I go to check my mail after having not checked my mail for a week. And I've got three female neighbors that are standing by the mailboxes and they're all talking and they think that there is a um they, they you know, they, they mentioned that they think there's a homeless person, you know, living in the bush up here you know, mm-hmm. near, near Lake Woodlands. And I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 that's not a homeless person. There's no facilities up here for a homeless person. There's right. no kitchen. There's no place for them to go, you know, sleep or whatever. I'm like, I'm like, but there is, you know, a pervert that's been like doing this for what, for like more than a year. And, you know, you find out about it, like on social media, right? Because it's like next door yeah. and the neighborhood apps and stuff like that. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, if, if you're ever out at a weird time and, and somebody's rustling around the bush, I'm like, it's not a homeless person. You, you know, you're about to get flashed. 
bored. You see something you don't want to see, you know. Oh, <laughs> so my ladies, awesome. like they just look at me like they're so naive. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. You know, I, I hate to laugh, but that is so obscure and just so random. But um, at least now you've warned people. I feel like you're doing a good deed for the community. Well, I mean, this stuff happens more than people realize. Like, like actually, so I grew up in Oklahoma, and yeah. and the Illinois River in Oklahoma is is like a hot place to go float. And uh, like me and a, and a bunch of girlfriends, like, you know, either one weekend or who knows, maybe we even skipped school when we were in high school to go float the river. Yeah. And and it's like an eight mile float. And there wasn't many people on the river that day. And we're like halfway down. And then here comes some pervert, you know, and he completely exposes himself with boat full of high school girls and, you know, starts doing his business you know and we're oh like my oh, god in my kill you know like, we're like, oh my god oh my god get out of here but when people do stuff like that i mean think about it like you've got people paddling on a river people jogging you know yeah. I mean, what do you do you even if you call the police like there's no way for them to get there in time right. to respond or find this person before they just disappear so yeah. people do their things for years that you know, is so true. Keep doing their thing unless you know, unless they just happen to get caught by a good Samaritan. You yeah. know, if, if some man just happens to be out there and then and then you know chase the guy down and you know put well, hurt on him. You know, and, 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 and for the listeners out there, you have to ask yourself if you were on a trail and you as a, as a as a man or even a woman, like who out there would actually attack this? gentleman who's streaking or flashing and tackle him knowing his pants maybe around his ankles like would you do that or would you just keep running there's got to be a hero out there somewhere exactly exactly i mean you know but <laughs> well, i mean i think anyone who does do it is probably some father or some husband who, For sure. who this this person is has you know visually assaulted you know his family member and he's he's just out for revenge and you yeah. know God I mean, loves that guy. He, you know, he's got a job to do up here in the woodlands. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Well, you always have to consider, and, and I don't worry, audience, we'll move on from this. But the last <laughs> thing I want to say is, y'all, I always, and this is kind of a downfall of mine. My wife hates it, but I, I always like to at least consider the, the other side of the argument. And so there's a reason why someone would stand in the bushes and, and, and flash people, but it's like, what like what would possess someone to do that? Is it like maybe they had issues as a child, they didn't get enough attention? You know, I, I my brain always goes into like the why. Why is this happening? And I just couldn't for the life of me figure out why someone wouldn't want to do that. I don't. I mean, I don't you're you're a man. You know that there's a, a percentage of men that are just twisted. Of course. And, so and, yes. so that's, people have some that's weird. What it things. is exactly. Yeah. It's it's just a twisted person. They're they're twisted. That's true. Well, and, anyway. and sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with their parents. Sometimes they're just twisted. <laughs> <laughs> some was some was cross-threaded along the way, wasn't it? Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of X real quick, though, um, you do have a badass banner, which is like some graffiti of a bear trap art looking art thing. Uh, what What is that? Is that something that you saw or a picture? Like it's, it's actually really neat. I like it. Yeah. Like I, I really like street art. And uh, that was some street art um, in in Lisbon, in, in oh. Portugal. Okay. And um, you know, I like I said, I just liked it, and I made my banner. It's been my ba banner for years. Yeah. So, no, I, I just I noticed it earlier, and I was like, I want to ask you about that. Yeah, so, I was I was like hiking along uh, the the rail, the little um, 
streetcar rail. So I yeah. was like floor cutting while I was there, you know, exploring and, and yeah, it, it had really cool street art like all over Lisbon. Okay, so, cool. So that's a picture you actually took. That's that's super cool. I, I do I can appreciate graffiti and art like that. We actually we have a short term rental here in Houston, and we hired a graffiti artist to come in and do a wall of a Houston themed graffiti. Um, and yeah, it's it's taken well. People seem to like it, but uh, I, I I can appreciate that. Um, so moving on, I'm I'm curious now. We're we're getting close to this. Will get released in January, uh, probably. Um, but. What have you learned about yourself in 2023? Was there anything transformative with like, whether it was business or anything like that? Does anything come to mind? Oh, I mean, 2023 definitely humbled me because coming into the, the beginning of the year, I mean, like I was real bullish, you know, mm -hmm. I thought we were set to run and, and the sector was going to have three years in a row and, and that's not what happened. You know, mm. we had a year of volatility and a lot of names um, are, you know, the, the, the quality names are basically ending the year flat and, um, you know, and some names are even, you know, ending the year down 50% or whatever. And, and actually some of the international names did well and they might be up 50%, but that's, that's really just because those, um, those markets were so depressed from their currency weakness in previous years that this year they finally like got a little bid because the U.S. dollar, you know, was weakening a little bit. But um, yeah. but yeah, like I said, it was uh, you know, at, at, if we were talking last year and I was giving my presentation or some presentations that I that I built for different investors, I mean, I was I was very bullish and I had like all my data and all my slides and this is what's going to happen. And then, you know, obviously not. Yeah. Well, can <laughs> so, you? So we started out, you know, like on January 1st, I think oil was about $77 a barrel. And then now today it's basically 74, 75. So, you, you know, like I said, the, the, you know, the commodity is flat, mm. but it's like crazy swings. Like, I mean, yeah. it, it hit in the 60s like four times. And then actually in September, it was 95. And then two and a half months later, it's bled down into the 60s again. Um, so, so the volatility, like I said, it's it's humbling, you know. Right. And because I'm not someone, you know, who comes from the financial realm, who who you know uh, has sits at a Bloomberg terminal and gets all these alerts and things like that, like I I have to do a lot more post mortem analysis to figure uh, out what I missed, you know. Right. So so looking back. Is there any, are there any factors or anything that you would put a little bit more weight towards when looking at sort of future outlook, like things you didn't consider? Obviously, geopolitics, there's a lot of unknowns that can hit the market, which then create volatility. But does that sort of change your strategy, if you will? I would have never guessed that U.S. oil production was going to be at an all-time high oh, in oh, September. I know. So I know. basically, the, the strength of that, you know, caught me off guard because the public uh, companies, which I'm monitoring, you know, quarter over quarter, they weren't showing that production growth. And and then even um, when the rig and the service companies were uh, presenting, a lot of the ones that I was listening to, they weren't conveying the weakness that the uh, the market was basically 
you know, putting into them and selling them out off and whatnot. And, and really it wasn't until October that I finally got my hands on, uh, some information that basically broke out the production from the privates and the public companies. Yeah. And I saw that the private companies had been out producing the publics for, for nearly two years. And I was kind of always under the assumption that the private companies weren't producing to that scale. I, right. I didn't realize that there were like nine really big privates in the Permian that that had just been like literally ramping up as hard as they could possibly ramp. Yeah. from uh from 2020 like really from the middle of 2020 they were they were scaling you know all their services like much harder than the public companies and and actually since then they had grown their production over 30 percent and so and so that's where like this big surprise came from because i wasn't talking to any private companies i was only getting public you know publicly reported information order of order yeah. and uh and so that like i said that you know, in hindsight, that was a huge miss because so, if I would have had that same orderly outlook coming from those private companies that I had from the public companies, you know, I, I would have better understood their scalability and how aggressively they had picked up equipment in the prior two years. And yeah. then this year, they they pretty much, you know, dumped a bunch of rigs like the the public companies rig counts pretty much had stayed flat. So I couldn't understand why everyone, you know, was just like, oh, no, these, you know, these rig contractors, you know, they're going down, they're going down. And I'm like, they can, you know, I'm like, I'm like, everyone I'm listening to that's their clients are basically, I mean, pretty much flat on rigs. I'm like, you know, yeah. or, and, and or, or the, you know, a lot of the companies were like, oh, you know, we're going to be down 10 or 15% like on the rig count. But but their stocks, you know, like if you look at Patterson and Neighbors and and these late <laughs> drillers, I mean, they've been cut in half. Like they've been yeah. decapitated this past yeah. year, and no. uh, and I and I do think think that that's like way overdone. But hmm. I, at least I understand now where it was coming from. You so know? how do you? And and I'm similar to you a lot. I mean, obviously, my world's a little different, but I'm always looking at. You know, who's doing what? Where the activity? Who's spending the money? <laughs> where's the production coming from? Because for us on the old food service side. <laughs> We're trying to then, you know, strategize and figure out who we need to approach. Um, you know, there's some good good tools out there to capture rig count, but unless you went through every operator uh, and then listed it out, whether it was private or public, it would it'd be kind of grueling. So, are there any good resources that you go to now that you, because you see, you said you finally in October got your hands on with the privates what they were producing versus the publics? Was it just kind of process of elimination or how did you get that or who, yeah, who so, provides that so my first hint was a report that came from rbc capital markets okay. and, and it was the permian basin basin ring cap trends and that's where i saw that there was this huge disconnect in in, in the rig count between the, the publics and the privately owned companies and and basically like for all of 2023 the rig count has been falling, but really only on the private company side. Yeah. And and the reason for that is that a lot of these private companies, or even really all these shell companies for the most part, these small companies are built to be sold. They right. they come in and and normally normally they want to sell themselves in three to five years. But with what happened happened with the price wars 
And and then with the COVID crash, like it delayed a lot of these companies getting out. And so and so coming out of COVID, a lot of these players were like, it's now or never. We're gonna mm. dress ourselves up. We're gonna we're gonna look like a house on fire producing. We're gonna get as many drilling permits as we can as we can shore up, and and we're gonna make this company look real attractive, um, you know, for takeover. And so of the nine companies that basically drove the uh, production output from the Permian Basin, three of them have already been acquired, and yeah. four is currently marketed itself. Yeah. So, so I mean, I know like Hibernia, Taprock was part of that. Um, there was a good handful of them, um, but yeah, it's it it has been interesting. Um, and with regards to like where the production growth has been coming from, is it a function of just they've just increased their activity rig count, frac spreads, or is are they drilling better wells in better rock, or is it a combination of of it all? Uh, I think it's I think it's mostly wells because they've also heavily drawn down on the duck count. So yeah. last year, last year, basically, they only burned like 200 ducks from the duck count in 2022. But this year, we've seen like a thousand ducks get getting used up. So that mm -hmm. so the ducks are drawing down much quicker. So again, it's like, how do you make yourself look like you're cheap and and yet producing a whole lot? Well, you take advantage of those ducks that spin from a previous year yeah. and and bring forward that production. So, um, you know, but I don't think that this is a situation that can repeat itself year over year. Like right now, the EIA is calling for another 600,000 barrels in U.S. production growth next year. And I just don't see where it's coming from because I'm like, I'm like, I, I feel like um, there might be a little bit of growth, you know, coming from the Gulf of Mexico because we've got some uh i think chevron's got a, a field coming online like a deep water field but i just i have a real hard time believing that the permian can can continue to grow given the reduction in the rig count this year and then the huge decline in ducks yeah i mean it, they would have to aggressively pick up rigs in order in order to try and grow because they they don't have a lot of reserve yet a, a reserve left you know of, of ducks ready to go and how much, yeah, them. how much, in, in, you know, being like very well exposed to the drilling side of the business, I, I do research for, for the company I work for and over the years, drilling efficiencies and mainly the footage per rig per year of production all has actually considerably gone up. And so, I mean, you're, you're obviously a drilling hand as well. Do you think there's quite a bit more meat on the bone with regards to drilling efficiencies and reducing cycle times and like doing offline ops? I mean, could 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 the increase in production just come from just drilling faster and, and drilling more wells with less equipment? I, I don't I don't believe it's all coming down to lateral length and efficiencies and things like that because there's trade-offs. So so if you're drilling a longer lateral then now you've got to wor work uh, worry more about well spacing because because now they have to be careful not to interfere with the well next to them because if they start fingering between those fields, you know, like they basically just jumped, you know, two wells. Yeah. So, uh, and, then, and then also some of the data that I've been looking at indicates that these wells are coming online at a higher production, a higher peak production to start. But, but that they're declining rap more rapidly. 
So, so it's like, yeah, you know, you look good that first year, but yeah. but that following year, you know, now you're kind of in the, um, you know, in the uh, the you're hurting, you know, compared right. to what the the wells were doing before. But I mean, like, we're gonna need more data, you know. Yeah. I basically what I'm saying is I'm like I'm seriously skeptical. Every time someone says, "Oh no, this is how great we are. This is this is you know the wells and everything else," I'm like, I'm like, we're still talking about tight rock, and you did not, you know, uh, even even when they talk about refracts, oh, you know, we're going to get all this extra production from refracts, and I'm like, refracts, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know of any secondary um, uh, recovery technique that ever outperforms the first recovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so i i you know show me let's just right. say that show me i i don't believe it because i what i see is is the, the duck declines and the and the and the rig count being played with and and i'm like yeah you have some efficiency gains in there but it's not it's not what you're i don't believe it's what people are trying to sell mm-hmm. in the data rooms and in their investor presentations and and whatnot. So, um, yeah. no, I'm always cautious of, of weakness, you know, um, ahead and, and, you know, with, with tie rock, that weakness shows up really quick. So, so let's see, let's see what 2024 looks like because right. there's high expectations, you know, there's high expectations for the U S we delivered a, another million barrels in, in 2023. And now they're thinking we're going to deliver an extra 600,000 in 2024. I'm like, show me. I don't believe yeah. it. You know? That, so, so, so I guess the only way we could get there is by just drastically increasing rig count and obviously frack spread count. Cause I think we got to be closer to that 300 mark. I think right now we're at like 260 something. So again, I just don't see, I'm with you. Um, but again, I, you know, as 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 rig count and, and things started slowing down this summer, I would have thought we'd have been at like twelve six, maybe by now twelve eight. But like we're well above thirteen, and it's like, where in the world or it's, how? It was did, those extra eight hundred ducks. Well, That's yes, they've been wells. drawing those. Yeah, no, they've I mean, been drawing. So like those I said, days. we did we completed five times the ducks this year that we did last year. So how much, like, it'd be tough to say, but ballpark, how much of that increase in production, what's the percent that comes from the ducks, do you think? More than half of that increase? I less? don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't have access to uh, enough enough data to be able to see that. I'm sure Fair I'm enough. sure someone has it, you know. But um yeah. I mean, like I I mean, honestly, like I couldn't even tell you how many wells were completed this year in the Permian. Because because if you knew how many wells were completed this year in the Permian, well, we know a thousand of them were ducks, and and then you could you could kind of ballpark it a yeah. little bit. Um, yeah. No, I, I might I, I might dig for that a little bit. Except from time to time, I kind of have wondered like how many wells they're actually com- completing there a year. But um, yeah, no, I'm sure there's 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 folks out there. I don't I don't know if you've ever lurked or seen it. Uh, Novi Labs. Uh, has a has a great tool with a ton of different dashboards and data. Um, I don't know, maybe Ted Cross, if you're listening, you can you can pump some information out there for everyone to look at. Um, yeah, it was, it was actually one of his data shares that 
that alerted me that the privates had grown 31%. Yeah. So, no, I, so I totally agree. Like they, they are awesome. And in, and everything he posts is yeah. excellent. I so yeah, appreciate no, we, it. Uh, we, we actually subscribe to it um, for other reasons. Obviously we're not too, some of the stuff we don't use, but some of it's really interesting for us. But um, man, there's just so much information piled into there. I've, I've, I've probably gone through about 50 or 60% of it, but a lot of it's over my head, but I don't know, maybe I'll do some digging too, because I, I find well, that pretty interesting. So here's here's another little jewel. So Barclays, you know, after they've had their discussions with their client tour privates, they think that privates are intending to spend 4% less next year than they um, did last year or this year, this past year. So again, it's like, well, so if you're, if you were dropping rigs all this year, they actually need to pick up a few rigs just to have the same spend. Um, <laughs> so yeah, some no, potentially get a pick of those rigs up, you know, but, but yeah, the U S U S um, spend for next year is expected to only be like a 2% increase over yeah. 2023. And for the rest of the world, it's expected to be a 5% increase. And this is going to be like the first time in a decade that the U.S. wasn't the most rapidly growing spend for any given year. So I, I do think that we've kind of hit, you know, critical mass here. Yeah. And, um, you know, you just need to chill, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? I mean, looking at it, Kind of taking it a step further into next year uh do you think the m a theme is going to continue like where, where do your where, what's your sort of outlook on that oh yeah no i i do think that we're going to continue to see cons consolidation um you know just like the chevron ceo mike Worth said there's way too many ceos per barrel in this industry yeah and, i saw that that was an know, interesting comment yeah well and then for a decade we haven't been exploring and organically replacing reserves. So right. these companies, they've continued to produce for a decade. The only way they can kind of shore up their their books on their uh, reserves replacement replacement metrics is to buy barrels. So um, I guess I guess for these companies that are looking to do M and A, these pullbacks uh, in oil price probably help them a little bit because yeah. uh, it's much easier probably for them to get what they feel like is a lucrative deal when oil is 70 versus when oil is 95 you know yeah. but um do you, do you think the valuations are 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 close to what they should be or do you think there's under under or over what's your take on that i mean i feel like the sector is underrepresented in the s p and you know like i would like to see the sector re-rate and i mean if 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 the energy business is producing, you know, ten percent of the the cash flow for the entire economy, I mean, and like I don't know if that's what it is, but I'm just saying that. Like like, I would like to see it be ten percent of the S and P, you know. Yeah. But I, I believe right now it's probably only four or five percent, which is really you know half where it, you know it was like you know in in in, in prior cycles. So. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, everyone who's, who's hanging out in the sector still, um, you know, that's, that's what they were waiting on was the, was the re-rate, you know, and instead what ended up happening was in 2023, energy ended up being the most sold sector in the stock market. 
So basically, oh, wow. since it did really good, you know, in 2021 and 2022, this year, everyone, you know, the, the, re the recession narrative was uh, was rolled out. And, and everyone was just dumping it, dumping it, dumping it, and then rolling into the largest eight tech companies. Um, mm. That's kind of what happened this year. So, so mm. anybody hold, holding energy, you know, with, with the, you know, for the most part, you know, took it on the, on the nose or were <laughs> flat, you know, or, or maybe they had some of these little pearls um, that did perform well, like for instance, Petrobras, they were up like 50% this year, but, yeah. but that's because everyone was scared last year that the company was going to get nationalized. So, right. so, so when that fear went away, the company was able to, you know, um, you know, have the, some money, you know, money run into it and it performed really well. But, um, yeah, so it's like some of these names, what moves it isn't, isn't the oil and gas thesis so much as that they were, you know, they were punished for other reasons. So, so we, we, yeah, we, it's uh, like, like this year, like, like, I don't know what it is today, but it's probably pretty close. So, so as of last week, like I said, out of, out of all the, the sector fund flows, energy was, was hit the hardest. It was down, um, like more than 10%. Um, I mean, it, like I said, just tons of selling all year, really. And, yeah. uh, like when you looked at the the crude oil managed money, like last week, it was it was more short than it was even during the COVID crash. So hey. just more bearishness oh. right now. Like people are more bearish than ever. It's crazy. And and the current narrative that's flying around is oh, you know. Like they, like they basically beat us up with recession all year long, recession talk. And yeah. then, and then I guess people aren't listening to that anymore. So now they've come up with, well, OPEC is going to fall apart. And, um, you know, they're like, OPEC's going to flood the market. OPEC's oh. going to flood the market. They're going to get pissed off because the U.S. is, is producing all-time highs. And yet OPEC, like when you look at what they're producing, they're producing 4 million barrels a day less than what they were in January 2020. So so OPEC has really shown restraint. And yeah. then unfortunately our private shell producers, you know, thinking only of themselves, <laughs> have grown production as quickly as they can. Yeah. And and the quicker someone buys them, like I actually made a joke that Oxy just did, you know, the sector of favor because Oxy just bought Crown Rock. And I'm like, yeah, so put them down, you know, someone else, someone go buy Endeavor, put them down. You yeah. know? <laughs> no, it's, it, I'm I'm like, that's... it's just like show some discipline because, <laughs> because like they're creating this, these excessive swings, you know, in yeah. the market and, uh, and, you know, and for why, like, I mean, I can understand if they're trying to, you know, dress themselves up to sell, but, but anyone who's wanting to stay in this game long-term, you know, it's like, it's like, you're just racing toward the finish line. And yeah. why can't you just wait a little bit, sell your oil at $90 a barrel instead of 65? <laughs> yeah. You know, no, that's, it, that's what OPEC's doing. OPEC is playing the long game. Yeah. You know, they feel that the U.S. shale is eventually going to top. 
and 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 as it as it subsides a few million barrels, they know that you know everyone's going to show up on their their door and say, okay, well, you know, give us your barrels now. Yeah, no, then that's they'll true. Be able to control the market, you know, and 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 actually, like even today, uh, Russia basically they're calling for oil to be eighty to eighty five dollars a barrel next year, and and Saudi kind of also needs those numbers in order to balance their budget. So you've got the two largest players in yeah. OPEC plus, and they seem very well aligned that yeah. they're they're trying to do what it takes to get oil stabilized at eighty to eighty five dollars a barrel. We just oh. need US shale to quit breaking things. Yeah. Know? No, that's uh I'm like, come on, if y'all watching this, just like calm yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I know looking at, so Rory Johnson puts out some good information. It's behind a paywall, but he did, he put out a big deck recently on OPEC and, and all the countries and what they're producing. And there's one that really stands out is Abu Dhabi's capacity. They have dumped a bunch of money into growing their capacity and everyone else has either gone flat or actually reduced. And, and, and so, and then I, I was also hearing uh, Saudi um a guy who used to work for baker hughes that i know um he spent a lot of time over there and he was saying that they've been just sucking up jackups and barges and rigs and they they don't have them drilling but they're almost like adding a bunch of rig capacity to their fleet with the expectation that maybe once this thing does once once u.s shale or once once there's a disconnect between demand and supply, that they'll yeah. just come in and 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 then take advantage of the opportunity. And so, you it basically is, it, it, you basically have to go back to 2012, yeah, for the rig count in the Middle East to match the the rig count of what it is now. Even though they're soaking up a lot of rigs, their rig count is still less than what it was. Yeah, from 2013 through 2019. Right. So, so, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're preparing or whatever, but, but they're not, they're not back They're you know, they're not back and, and there's no reason for them to be, you know, well, there's no reason for like, like for them to go drill a bunch of ducks, you know, that's yeah, not, yeah. How, that's not how they roll, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> but, um, but Latin America, their, their recount is back. Um, Asia Pacific, their recount is back, but okay. you know, um, that's it, it is interesting. I haven't really looked at international rig counts in a long time. Um, but I've been slowly looking at it now just because I'm I'm curious and then just trying to again just wrap my head around it more from a macro perspective than just focused here on the US because obviously what everyone else does and there's there's a lot of supply coming out of other countries now, which we didn't really consider, you know, five or eight years ago. Um, but but real quick, talking about the other side of the equation on the demand side, there's all this talk about peak demand peak demand um where, where do you and I mean, that can be a long conversation in itself but where do you see demand going next year i mean do you see much growth do you see it fairly flat like what, what's your thoughts so most models align in that demand probably isn't going to peak until 2050 so 25 30 years from now yeah. uh, the recent issue which was why oil pulled down from 95 to like $68 a barrel recently was because China revised its expectations down. 
and and really it's just small yeah. changes in in supply and demand which create large imbalances you know in the market so so they they revise down and it looks like they're going to stay you know down through the first half of next year and then the second half of next year they're going to get back on track so uh, okay <laughs> Um, like right now, uh, China's buying 50% of Russia's crude and mm -hmm. India is buying 40% of Russia's crude. So, okay. um, wow. plus, plus it, you know, China's, it's kind of always hard to know exactly, you know, what they're doing anyway, but, but mm -hmm. I would say that, th so those two economies are the economies that everyone looks at yeah. to really be, uh, providing the the demand growth in future years and and now russia is their top supplier so i mean you know th this this whole this whole uh shell game that we're playing here sometimes i wonder if uh whether or not this is going to end up being to russia's benefit in the long run because they've kind of locked up the bricks they've locked yeah. up net alliances with with the two countries that you know, everyone wants to be feeding into for growth yeah. expectations and, um, you know, only time will tell. Yeah, so. no, it's, it's an interesting game, uh, on the natural gas side. Um, what, what are your, so obviously right now we're exporting, I think like 12 or so BCF a day and a bunch of LNG capacity, uh, or export capacities coming online. Um, what's your take on gas? I mean, are, are we sitting pretty or, or do you think gas prices are just going to stay low? What's, what's sort of your overall take so, for that? We've had, so, so gas prices got really low this year because we had a mild winter last year and that mild winter meant that we went into the summer with record high storage, you know, and then next thing you know, there was no, no place to put the gas. On, on top of that, there were like 50 fertilizer factories in Europe that have been shut down. Yeah. There's a bunch of inner, a, a bunch of, of gas to power stations have been converted over to coal. And, and so, so it's like on all fronts, your consumption was, was less than what it would have been in, in, in prior years. So, and then unfortunately, Right now, it almost looks like we're positioned to repeat last year's winter yeah. because this year's been a warm winter. So, um, I mean, if we don't get like a, a, a nice hard freeze somewhere that lasts for, for weeks and weeks, which could still happen, you know, we yeah. could end up having like a long, um, a, a long winter that, that runs into spring. But, but if, uh, if, if we lead this winter season, with with record high storage again, uh, I don't think you want to be invested in natural gas, gas you yeah. know, or maybe even yeah. shying away from natural gas, you know, companies because they 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 might have uh, some of their production hedged. But yeah, but, I mean, as of this moment, there's not a huge. I don't see a huge catalyst um, for, next for year, unless the weather, like I said, dramatically changes. So, right. Um on that front uh do you, like with but like long term would you say natural gas aside from like winters because obviously weather 
plays a huge role in, in natural gas prices. But once we slowly start getting this this export capacity online, I mean, do you think the markets are still going to be pretty favorable for natural gas? Or do you think, because, I mean, there's obviously other parts of the world who sit on a ton of reserves. Um, is is, yeah, is I mean, the, the bullish the case for... scaling up. The med will be feeding into Europe, and there'll be less need for us to be shipping LNG, you know, to Europe. So, yeah. uh, you know, there, there there is tons of natural gas all around the world. What has kept a lot of those fields from being sanctioned is the volatility of the of the gas prices. So it's yeah. really hard to get you know get these things over the hurdle. But I mean, I do believe natural gas is a full the fuel of the fuel, fuel the fuel of the future. And mm -hmm. in our you know in our lifetime, we're going to see that become dominant and and uh you know and and a, a stable place to invest. But I mean, right now it's the widow maker. So, yeah. So wouldn't wouldn't it make sense? I mean, because service costs arguably are are they're not they're, they've come down quite a bit. Wouldn't it make sense for natural gas focused companies to be drilling a bunch of ducks right now? Uh, I don't think prices have come down that much, and and, oh. and you know, and like there's there's also a lot of rig companies that on their last call said they will lay a rig down before they discount it. Yeah. And the ones that were discounting rigs, they were only discounting like one offs. So. It's like if you had a short-term gig and, and you're going to go drill one well, you know, yeah, we'll give you a discount. But they, but they, they weren't doing any long-term contracts on discount. Yeah, so, no, I, I, I recall hearing that too. Is like they're really, they're, they're focused on margin and not necessarily volume. So it, it makes sense what you're saying. Is I say service costs have come down, but rig con like day rates certainly haven't, or at least not enough, like you said, to to make an impact. Um, I think I think just one offs. I think I think just um, I mean yeah. I mean like we'll we'll see you know we'll see here in another month when these companies start to report. But yeah, yeah I don't I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of of uh, revenue misses. Yeah, no, I I'm with you. Uh, lastly, I, I want to touch on we we spoke a little bit before we started recording about ETFs and. There's there's an interesting project uh, that you may be involved with, but but nonetheless, can you kind of describe sort of this uh, this new, I guess ETF that that you've been exposed to, uh, without giving any details? But I, I just think the kind of the structure of it is really interesting and something to look forward to. Yeah. So so basically, um, I was contacted almost a year ago now by someone who is a is a financial advisor for another fund, and and. You know, he's probably got 30 years working on on Wall Street and advising, you know, funds and, and, and running money. And he was interested in starting an energy fund because, you know, he, you know, he believes. And this is somebody who actually just ran two tech funds. But, but you know, he strongly believes that energy, you know, going into the next decade is going to be where the money's made. So, so he wanted to launch an energy fund that's kind of um the where the money's kind of allocated based off of the energy mix so so if coal is 10 percent of the mix then coal's going to be 10 percent of the fund you know and same thing with oil and and natural gas and and um uh nuclear and and, and whatnot so so he's uh he's already got a handful of people that are um that he's gathered you know like somebody from refining and I think he's got a chemist, you know, talk about the different uh, rare mineral rules 
and and you know, and almost all these guys have uh, CFAs. So okay. you know, they're they're you know, they're money people. But uh, but apparently the chemist told him if we're going to do this, we need a petroleum engineer. Yeah. And uh, and so um, he had like I really just know him because he started commenting on some of my posts. Yeah. And then and then I would com you know comment on some of his stuff because he was sharing interesting articles from time to time and and you know we'd kick ideas back and forth and wow. I think it was uh, spring or summer of last year you know. Like we basically had a Zoom call, and and he told me what he was thinking about doing, and he asked me whether or not I'd be interested, in, and and I was like, uh, um, you know, sure, we have more information, you know, like let's talk, yeah, and uh, and and like six months or whatever went by, and I and I thought, well, maybe he decided he wasn't going to do it, or maybe he found someone else, and then uh, next thing you know, he's like sends me a meeting, and he's like, okay. I'm I'm ready to roll. Like we need to have another Zoom uh, <laughs> a Zoom meeting and and find out you know whether or not you're the 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 right candidate for this. Yeah. And I and I said okay, well you know send me your prospectus and um and and that's kind of why I had a little bit of information to tell you about it just because I had read through his his per, uh, prospectus. So basically for the last year he had built a model portfolio and he was running it like in the test phase. Yeah. And model uh, portfolio outperformed the market. So, so he's already got his proof of concept. And like I said, he's got a track record because he's had other funds and, um, and you know, that's who, fascinating. maybe, maybe I'll end up joining the team as an, as an oil advisor, you know, wow. because, you that know. is, uh, that is super interesting and, and appreciate you sharing that. I think it's very, it's very smart. Uh, and, and again, there's a little bit of proof there, um, already running it this year. And so. Uh, all the best. I just think it's really vocal that someone who used to run a couple tech funds now wants to start an energy fund. So yeah. maybe, maybe that's just a little pearl. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, hopefully there's a whole lot of other people that, you know, are thinking the same way. Because again, it's like, if we're going to re-rate in, in the marketplace, yeah. you know, we, we need money peeling out of the apples and the, and the Amazons and, yeah. and the Microsofts and, and heading over to, into energy. Yeah. So. No, it's, uh, lastly on, on that. Uh, so I follow a podcast called the all in podcast and it's, it's from guys out of Silicon Valley who have been very successful in the tech space and who've ran companies, built companies, some of which Google, well, there's a gentleman uh, originally from Toronto, his name is Chamath. And he, uh, he was, he was saying on there like a while back about, all the like he's going to start really focusing on energy and investing in energy tech and and just the energy transition in itself and he was like yeah it's not there's not a lot of people like right now obviously tech is is sexy and it has all the buzz but he said i don't think people realize how much money in energy that there is and how much money there could be made and so it's interesting just like hearing what you're saying and then folks who've been traditional tech who don't have anything to do with oil and gas or energy for that matter um, are now looking like, hey, this is this is a big deal because energy demand's going up, and the space needs a lot of money. Um, and so the private sector, the, the real upset is, is interest rates, because with yeah. high interest rates, these tech companies, the small ones, can't service their debt, right. and it's also going to like feed over into into oil and gas because large companies and and NOCs can self fund. They have right. enough free cash flow that they don't need to go get loans to do projects. But but small companies will be capital starved. Um, mm. 
potentially with these high interest rates. Yeah. So, so it's, that's kind of something else to, to be, you know, on the lookout, like any, you know, I mean, free cash flow is key, but yeah. you know, you're not producing a lot of it. If you're outspending your free cash flow, you know, I mean, you, I mean, you don't want to own that in a high interest rate environment. <laughs> no kidding. No uh, kidding. Well, I think that's a great way to close out. Christine, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I always love your thought leadership and just overall outlook on things. Um, where can people find you? Uh, and what I'll do is I'll put the link in the show notes, but where are you most active? Uh, I'm most active on Twitter. So as, as she drills and yeah. I'll occasionally, uh, post up on, on LinkedIn, but I mean, my, my previous managers and bosses are on there. So I've got to, I've got to be a little bit more astute on like on LinkedIn, <laughs> whereas I get a little bit more gritty sometimes on, uh, <laughs> I on love Twitter. it. So, you, you get the raw and uncut from uh, from She Drills for sure. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Christine, I really hope you have a wonderful 2024. We'll have to. Uh, I'll be I'll be following you and, and hopefully engaging. But uh, we will do a, a 2024 wrap up in about 12 months from now if if you're open to that. Yeah, yeah. Like I said hopefully um, hopefully the market hasn't fallen apart and <laughs> I'm I'm popper. So like well, I said. I mean, 20, 2024 better be better to me than 2023 because, like I said, what, the volatility yeah. this past year was just a waste of my life. Well, I'm going to prepare next year. I'm going to re-listen to this uh, right before we do our, our 2024 wrap-up, and we'll see if, if we were anywhere close to what we thought was going to happen, and uh, it'll be a fun conversation. Well, I, I do think that we should be prepared to, to range trade into the year ahead because yeah. it, it's not just the, the situation – with um so so this is kind of what i think is going to happen okay. the u.s is going to do everything it can do to keep the economy looking stable and solid through the presidential election in november and potentially after that the whoever wins is just going to be left holding the bag so yeah. you know it, it really i would not look to the u.s to be driving demand growth, I, I kind of look to China and, and India. So, yeah. so I do hope that China has its recovery in the second half of next year, because that would be the best possible situation for oil bulls. If China mm. remains weak, we're screwed. Yeah. So, um, mm. <laughs> until, until some of this shell production burns off. So, yeah. Oh, but oh, you got to think too that anytime there ends up being a an imbalance, like if if all of a sudden uh, China starts ramping up and and we need more demand, I mean, do remember that OPEC has this four million barrels that they were producing prior to COVID that could potentially be their spare capacity. Now, personally, I don't believe that four million barrels is available, but I do believe that maybe one million. Is available or even two million is available so mm. i would look in to to basically start supplying into the market anytime yeah. there would be a potential demand squeeze and again that would potentially keep the price you know kind of capped you know at 85 dollars a barrel so yeah. um mm. so you know potentially sideways ish through 2024 hopefully at the same time the market starts giving us more credit and is re-rating these stocks higher because yeah. their free cash flow looks really good compared to other industries. Um, but but I don't expect any crazy $150 per barrel 
action happening, you know, in 2024. Just like, yeah, the world looks just fine at 80, 85 dollars a barrel. Like, we'll all be happy if we can just keep what we want. Yeah, well, let's hope. And uh, with that said, Christine, thank you so much for the listeners out there. Let's always make sure we're approaching the energy landscape with a radically open mind. Be kind and always remember that everyone deserves access to energy and we is greater than me. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>